Hello, everyone. Today, I had the chance to speak with Maria from Uvita Shop, the first and only zero-waste store in Boston. Maria has been providing customers with plastic-free products since 2019 when she was awarded the Entrepreneurship Scholarship from UMass Boston. Since then, she has successfully scaled an online business and opened two retail storefronts, one in Brookline and the other in the north end of Boston. Maria's mission is incredibly important in the fight against climate change, and I'm really excited to have her on the show. Today's episode was recorded at the Boston Podcast Network. You can reach out to producer Dave if you want to record your own podcast or go on pod617.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Justin Dorado, and welcome to Hey Founded, a show dedicated to providing young entrepreneurs with practical insights into creating and growing their startup or project. We feature Boston's premier entrepreneurs and founders to share the nitty-gritty details of how they began and grew their venture. This podcast is intended for any individual interested in learning more about startups, entrepreneurship, or growing their venture. Whether you have never thought about business before or have already built a team and raised funding for your venture, there's something here for everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Maria, thank you for coming on the show today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me here. Of course. Um, so would you mind just telling the listeners a little bit about your background and your business, a little bit about Uvita Shop? Yeah, so a little bit about me is I was born in Columbia, but I've been raised and have lived in Boston my entire life. I went to UMass Boston, so definitely raised in the city. And I started Uvita Shop in my senior year of college. I was an environmental studies and sustainability major. So I was learning all about climate change for four years, and I just really wanted to see how I can do something about it. And I specifically felt called to the plastic pollution problem just because I realized that I myself was using a lot of plastic and basically all the products in my house were in plastic. So that is how I got into the zero waste movement. Nice. Would you, we were talking about this a little bit before the episode, but can you just tell us a little bit about the products and services offered by your two stores? Yeah. So basically when you walk in, you're going to see a kitchen section, bathroom, makeup, kids section, and laundry cleaning, pet care section. And then in those sections, you'll find products that you usually use that are usually in plastic. And so for example, in our kitchen section, we have um, dish soap blocks, we have dish soap decks, kitchen utensils produce bags, reusable silicone cover ba- um, covers. And then in our bathroom section, which is like our biggest one, we have bamboo toothbrushes, toothpaste tablets, toothpaste um, cream, mouthwash tablets, um, plastic-free makeup, which is mascara, eyeshadow, highlighter, and so forth. Interesting. Is I don't mean to go on a tangent, but is plastic-free makeup, is that like, does most makeup have like plastic in it or... This, the contain- you mean the containers have plastic? Yeah, so the packaging okay. is always in plastic, unfortunately. Okay. And then the ingredients are like ingredients that you have never, will never be able to pronounce. Mm-hmm. So it's more about like, yes, being plastic free, but also about being more natural ingredients and it being safe for your skin. Okay, nice. Um, so Uvita Shop is the first and only zero waste and eco-friendly store in Boston. Would you mind telling the listeners just what does zero waste mean exactly? Yeah, so... In terms of our brick and mortar stores, what we mean by zero waste is basically trying to have all the products packaged in alternative materials that are not plastic in order to not throw those away in landfill. And we love to have either minimal packaging or Mm. when we do have to have packaging, it's things like glass, which is reusable or refillable in our store, metal, aluminum, cardboard, or just straight bamboo. 
So ideally, it would be items that you can compost at home or you can bring back to the store for us to take care of it Mm -hmm. or you can refill. Um, But the number one option is just unpacked. So our soaps don't have any packaging. Our dish soap don't have any packaging. Mm -hmm. Our shaving bars, our lotion bars, we just try to have no packaging because we all know that you're just going to throw it away and use the actual product. Yeah, that makes sense. Is it is it difficult to acquire these products to to sell them? Because I can imagine, you know, there's not too many stores that are trying to do what you're doing. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's <laughs> probably not too many products either, right? Yeah, so th- unfortunately there are products that still need a lot of innovation and that mm. we don't have in the store because we can't find someone who is doing that in the plastic-free version. But every day we are researching and looking at these companies and pushing the market to go in that direction in order for us to bring more products and make things Mm -hmm. more accessible. Um, But in terms of finding the brand, so the way that I explain it is that we're like a web of a lot of small businesses. So I talk to a lot of vendors and we get a lot of vendors that send us samples. So that is great because, you know, we're not searching for them. But then I'm also always looking at the market and seeing who is providing the next best sustainable products. And we just keep going on from there. So it does require a lot of marketing, a lot of research and test um, trial and errors with products. But because we've been around for two years, we've have a really good curation. And that's um, our main goal in order to like steer people towards the zero waste movement. Yeah. I I know you guys sell your own products as well. Would you mind Mm -hmm. just Tell me a little bit about that. So we have our bamboo toothbrushes. We have our ba- our body soaps that we make. And that is pretty much it. We have our actually our reusable silicone cups. Mm-hmm. And I got those because we like to have events in the store. And, you know, it was just a very difficult situation to not have plastic red cups yeah. or to have reusable cups all the time. And it would take us hours to clean up afterwards, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like a silicone bright colored cup would be a lot more inviting. Um, that way it can mimic the bright plastic red party cups that people have at events. Yeah. And so I got those in silicone and they're oh, reusable. Nice. And now they're a hit and <laughs> other companies are starting to use them for their events. That's so fun. Mm-hmm. What's your what's your favorite product in the store? What's your go to product? I have a lot of favorite products. I mean, for me, I am very much into the plastic-free makeup section of the store just because it's it's a very small section and it's because it doesn't really exist out there yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, girls are all very much into beauty sometimes. We're like the biggest consumers for beauty products. Mm-hmm. So naturally, it is targeted towards women. Yeah. And I know all my friends go to Sephora, Ulta, or they just have to buy what they can get at Walgreens or CVS. And it's always, always, always in plastic. There's not really brands that are mainstream yet that are like trying to send a message of plastic-free makeup. So when I find those small brands that nobody knows of and I try their products and I love it, I'm more than happy to carry them in our store. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is going to be like the future of the beauty market. What do you think about larger players that enter this sustainability market? Um, It makes you made, I don't know, you made it sound like a lot of the products that are in your store are from smaller companies, Mm -hmm. but I know yeah. there are larger companies that are also trying to make an effort or a push towards creating like zero waste products. Um, what are your thoughts on most of those? Yeah, so it's kind of hard to be on one side because mm-hmm. from one end, I'm very happy that consumers like us are putting enough pressure on these larger corporations to see 
what's the trend? What's the demand? What do people want? And then they're like, okay, people want plastic free. People want natural ingredients. Like people are catching on to all these things that we've put aside for years. So it makes me really happy to see that on the larger scale. On the other end, it just sometimes makes me a little concerned um, that if all stores become refill stores, I just hope that we'll still be around like at the end of the day, you know, because I'm hoping that Target someday will be a refill store and they'll have a refill section and there's no longer going to be the single use um, containers or that people can bring it back. So that would be zero waste on a large scale. Yeah. Um, but I hope that all the little guys, like all the zero waste stores mm-hmm. that are running right now and creating this path mm-hmm. are still around in the long term. Yeah, that makes sense. Um I feel like they would be because they're still cultivating the creation of all these like sustainable products and like, and for that reason alone, like there will be a need always for like creators in this market. So, Mm -hmm. um, this episode is about financing your venture. Uh, and I would really like to know a little bit about how you got started. Uh, you won an entrepreneurship scholarship from UMass Boston back in 2019, I believe you can talk a little bit about that, but I'm really just curious how you use that to kind of just springboard your career yeah so I studied abroad in the summer of 2019 and I got assigned to this apartment that was right next to a zero waste store so I got very attached to using that zero waste store for Mm -hmm. three months and once I got back to Boston I was just like I can't go back to living the way that I was before where was this this was in Madrid Spain okay and it was awesome because basically I had roommates and anytime our dish soap was running out, I was like, oh, I volunteered to refill. And they're like, no, it's fine. I'll just <laughs> buy some on the way home. And I'm like, no, no, I want to go to that zero waste store down the street and I want to refill it. Like, please yeah. let me do that. And I did that with the dish soap, shampoo, conditioner for all of us. And yeah, I got back to Boston and I was just like, why can't I do this here? Like, I, I don't want to go back to that. So I told my college advisor and she told me about the entrepreneurship scholarship that UMass Boston was offering for the first time. Thankfully, any student from any major and any year could apply, which was very important because I wasn't a business major and I was not even thinking of starting a business. I was just telling her how much I love that store and how much I wish that store was here in Boston. So she was like, if you want that store to become a reality so much, like, why don't you just apply to this scholarship? propose the idea and see how things go from there. So I was like, okay, great. And yeah, I applied. And then when I became the recipient and they gave me the $5,000 check, that's, that was the first time in my life that I was like, maybe this is a good idea. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm not the only person that wants this and maybe I should do it. But again, I wasn't a business major, so I really wasn't set on that. Um, But I was like, let me give it a try. So I launched a website, which just means I found a name. I, took the LLC. Um, I started the website and I started the Instagram Mm -hmm. and I started more with like educational content, like teaching people about like plastic free, zero waste, how there are products like this, but we just don't see them in mainstream stores, mainstream media. Oh, so you didn't have any products in the beginning. Yeah. So like I was, um, in the back end, I was creating the products, deciding what products I wanted to start with. And then Mm -hmm. also just started like on, yeah, started marketing, educating, building a community and, The products that I decided to go with was a reusable water bottle because that was a product that I was already using. So I knew that I would use that. (laughs) And then I also did um, bamboo toothbrushes because Mm -hmm. I brushed my teeth every day and it bothered me all the time that it had to always be in plastic. And there was always like examples of of toothbrushes in like the ocean. And so I just figured that I would target that. Um, 
And then I went from there. But once I started the business and I launched my first two products, um, UMass Boston was like, oh, you're actually starting this business that from the scholarship that, you know, we're not even tracking what happens to these students after they get the scholarship. So I'm like, yeah, I actually am. Like, I really wouldn't have started this if it wasn't for this scholarship. I'm, you know, a, a college yeah. student with no money. Like, this is an opportunity. Um, so they were like, why don't you start doing pop-ups on campus? And like, they have other vendors, other outside businesses that do pop-ups um, mm -hmm. every every month in on campus. So they were like, you should do that. And I was like, what is a pop-up? Like, okay, perfect. I'm going to do it. So I started just figuring it out, what I had to do to do a pop-up. And that is where I realized like it was so nice to explain this concept to people in person because they don't see bamboo toothbrushes everywhere. They don't see bamboo hairbrushes. They don't see all these things in bamboo yeah. anywhere. So they're like, what is this? Like, oh, I think I know you from my class. Like, mm -hmm. aren't you an environmental science major like me? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then this is my business. Like, I'm trying to, you know how we learn about plastic pollution every day. Like, I'm trying to start a plastic-free product business. And that is when things started growing because students, classmates, professors, t uh, everyone was just like, supporting and they started shopping and they started telling their friends and I also got connected to other pop-ups yeah. so I was like pop-ups are great let me do another one and then I I kept doing them on campus but then I started doing in other areas so around Boston and New York and Connecticut and New Hampshire just like anywhere that I could mm -hmm. and from there I started growing my online sales so I did save up money from just working during college, but the online sales is basically what saved me. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, I, I realized that my bedroom was not enough <laughs> to hold all the products. Yeah. And so that's when my mom was like, you can't just live sleep next to these products anymore. Like you need to figure something out. And so she what did this like, look like? What did your room look like? I mean, I, I had a, I was a commuter all four years of college. So mm -hmm. I lived with my family. And so I had a small room and yeah, it was just boxes on top of boxes <laughs> and then my bed and then my dresser. And it was nice when it was only one box. But then after that, my mom's like, this is the next step. You need to get a storage unit and yeah. you need to pay for it. You can't use our basement and or the other option is a storefront. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, and mind you, both of my parents are full-time entrepreneurs. I always mention this. Mm -hmm. And both of my parents also have brick and mortars of their own businesses. And I grew up in their stores. Like I had lunch, I got dropped off the school bus. So I also feel like my subconscious mindset was raised in brick yeah. and mortar stores, watching my parents open and run their shops. And so I kind of feel like there is a correlation there, but me and wanting to open my own brick and mortar store. Yeah. Um, but obviously at a very much like a younger age. Mm -hmm. So I started looking at storage units and I also started looking at stores and this was uh, the prime pandemic. It was like September of 2020, December of 2020 is yeah. when we officially opened our doors. But before I did that, what I really did is I looked at a bunch of neighborhoods in Boston. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to be in the Boston zip code because, again, I've been raised here and we pay a lot in rent. So I was like, why can't there be a store like this in the city yeah. um, that's accessible by train and not like a three hour drive outside the city? Yeah. So I kind of knew where I wanted it to be. And I looked at different neighborhoods and I started negotiating with different landlords. Mm -hmm. And I just uh, the North End was definitely my one of my top targets because 
I know in the North End, a lot of the residents don't have cars. Mm -hmm. And that is just the culture of the neighborhood. It's a very small neighborhood. The streets are tiny and the parking is horrible. So it's great because these people basically pay rent to live in downtown Boston where everything should be accessible to them Mm -hmm. and they don't need a car and they need to depend on local small businesses to walk to. So I was like, this is my kind of community because people who like to walk, people who want these small businesses in their neighborhood are more likely to support me than a neighborhood that is more car based and, you know, not as much foot traffic. So I negotiated a lot. And I learned that through the support of my family and my partner, Mm -hmm. who is a real estate agent. So all these things add up together to help me get to where I was. Um, And so, yeah, I ended up going with the North End. I ended up picking the storefront. I got a good landlord, which is very important. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't talk about that (laughs) because you're going to be working with them for a lot of years. So you want to make sure you have. You interact with your landlord a decent amount. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like if something breaks, you mm-hmm. either have a landlord that's going to come in and fix yeah. it or you're going to have a landlord that ignores you. Yeah. And, and, it's, and I imagine it's so much more critical with the store. It's not like, you know, y- y- a light bulb's out in your in your apartment. It's like a light mm-hmm. bulb's out in your store than like, yeah. or the, the light, I don't know, the, the electricity is like off or something like yeah. that matters. You can't get customers in. So exactly. I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, you had this $5,000 initially. How did you spend it? Mm-hmm. Where did it go to? Um, did you have to continue to put more money in from your yeah. own pocket? Um, mm-hmm. What happened exactly in the very beginning? Yeah, so I saved about, I mean, I spent like 3000 mm-hmm. more more than half about, okay. more than half of the scholarship on inventory. And then I had a very small budget for the website and the Instagram. So that was all very much like a scrappy work. Like I just yeah. s- launched a website based off a template that I bought and I went on YouTube and started reading guides and trying yeah. to figure out how to have a website. So no, I didn't have the money to pay a website designer mm-hmm. to have interns and to have any of that. There's um, a lot of tools to make your own website though, right? Like yeah. it's it's not too bad. I don't think like you can use Squarespace. I don't know what you use, yeah. WordPress. I use Shopify. Shopify, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you cool. can buy templates. Yeah. And then build it from there. And also there's a million videos that will like help mm-hmm. you. But obviously down the line, as you get more customers and more eyes on you, it's definitely very important to have some kind of web design professional work. Um, but for the beginning, yeah. it just wasn't my top priority. Were you so were you always targeting like a store, a physical store was like in the back of your mind when you were when you were starting this process? So, no, I didn't really know where I was going. I just was super happy about how the pop-ups were going and I feel like that really I really like the in-person interactions and Mm -hmm. this was during the pandemic so we didn't really have good in-person interactions so part of me felt very isolated and then the other half of me when I would attend these pop-ups I was just like wow like I just got to talk to like 10 people that are also environmental science majors and they completely understand what I'm trying to accomplish here and what message I'm trying to share so I feel like those connections just fueled me so much that I was like, I want more of that. I know I clearly can tell that I'm not the only person that wants a plastic free store. No, it's not easy. No, what does that mean? And how do you make it happen? But Mm -hmm. clearly there's demand. Clearly I'm not the only person. So that fueled me enough to realize I either want to do more pop-ups, I want to do more in-person events, or I want to open my own store. So that is what got me in there. Not that I originally like thought of ever opening a store from the beginning. I feel like it's kind of such a big 
thing to imagine. It's yeah. a little, it's a little <laughs> difficult, right? When you get like $5,000, you're not thinking about like no. opening two stores. <laughs> no. Um, so were, were there targets in mind where, when you were like creating the online business, was there a number potentially that you were aiming to hit before you considered opening up your first store? Yeah. So I think it, it was when like I knew I was able to pay mm-hmm. rent for a store that yeah. I was like, hmm, this kind of seems like it's a possibility. Yeah. So, yeah, I realized I was just doing research and I realized what like the the rent ranges could be. And mm-hmm. then when I was noticing through my numbers increasing that, OK, rent is should be covered. You also have to take into account other things like insurance, commercial yeah. insurance, and then potentially down the line, like a worker to help at the store. So the closer I was getting to those numbers, the more I was like, mm-hmm. maybe this is the direction I should go in. But again, I didn't know much about owning or running a retail shop. So I didn't want to just like jump into it. Um, and so I, I definitely just did mm-hmm. a lot of research. I talked to a lot of real estate agents and I was just like trying to pick anyone's brain about this so I can basically protect myself as much as possible because no one, you know, all the decisions are backed based on me. So I yeah. was just like, even if people tell me this is a good idea, I want to make sure that mm-hmm. it's a good idea. And th- there is risk. Yes, there's a lot of risk. And mm-hmm. as the founder or the CEO or like the main person making decisions, yeah. you know, everyone can tell you it's a good idea. But if you don't do your own research and it ends up not being a mm-hmm. good idea, it all falls back on you and the final decisions that you make. So I knew that from the beginning no matter if anyone told me like this is amazing do this yeah. i had to make sure that i did everything i had to do to feel confident about my decision nice there's there's probably a lot of people in boston who have online businesses and maybe one day they're con- they're con- beginning to conjure up the dream of opening up their own store as well um in your opinion Maybe this wasn't the decision you made back then, and I'm not looking for you to break down every single expense (laughs) you made, but how much business do you think an online store should be bringing in in, if they're in Boston before they even think about opening up a a retail front? Yeah. So one thing I will mention is that nowadays you don't always need a brick and mortar store to have your business and i feel like everyone knows that because everyone's online Mm -hmm. number one and then number two would be a physical space um and the reason why i just mentioned that is because i feel like a lot of people have this dream of having stores but then when they if they get a glimpse of like the actual work that goes behind it it's way more than people can imagine Mm -hmm. so i just like want to lay that out there because it is a lot of work i sometimes leave at 9 10 p.m just restocking just counting inventory just doing logistics and i wouldn't have to do any of that if i was only online but from that point yes you need to make sure that you have first month's rent last month's rent deposit Mm -hmm. enough for insurance and then you also need to make sure that you have your own salary in there because it's not a good decision to just open without paying yourself at least a little bit. Yeah, you need and to eat some food. And yes. Pay, some, pay your own <laughs> rent as well. You can't sleep in the store. Yeah. So. It's also about like accountability to make sure that you are budgeting correctly because in case, you know, you aren't able to make mm-hmm. it to the store that one day or that one week, you need to be paying someone else and that money would end up going to someone else. And then yeah. 
you don't have money for yourself. So I definitely say budgeting is number one, looking at your numbers and seeing the consistency behind them. Because just because you go viral one day and you have a really good month does not mean that you are ready to open a brick and mortar. Yeah. It needs to be consistent because the rent is consistent. It mm-hmm. will always be there on the first. And you don't want to fall into that trap of not being able to pay rent after signing your contracts. So definitely I would say consistency behind the sales is a very important. It's interesting because I would imagine opening up a, a physical bu- retail business would actually probably result in some disruption to the consistency of your business. Mm-hmm. How do you make that transition effectively? Yeah. So Thankfully, I've learned some of the seasonalities behind retail. So January Mm -hmm. and February are definitely our slowest months of the year. Mm -hmm. And so naturally, I save the expenses that I'm going to have for those months throughout the other months. So in summer and June and July, when everyone is out and everyone's in downtown Boston, walking up and down Mm -hmm. the street and shopping, I, from summer the year before, I save up just for the rent for January and February because I'm not going to fall for that trap. I know that it's, you know, January. Mm -hmm. Everyone is low on money because the holidays just passed. It's the first month, so everyone's going to the gym and things like that. So not to not stress myself out and to not, you know, do the wrong thing, I save up for those expenses in other months. Hey, this is Dave. I'm the producer, CEO, and founder of the Boston Podcast Network, pod617.com. We're a proud supporter of Hey Founded. I hope you're enjoying the show. Now, if you would like your own podcast, we'd love to work with you. Go to pod617.com to get started. You can record here in our Westwood Mass Studios or anywhere around the globe using a remote microphone that we will send out to you. We'll take care of the whole thing for you. Intro, outro, editing, posting, hosting, the whole deal. Go to pod617.com to get started. The Boston Podcast Network in pod we trust what's your thought process on outside money raising money Mm -hmm. business loans yeah so as you know i am a fully bootstrapped business Mm -hmm. and it sounds amazing because that means i don't have any loans that means i don't have any outside investors you're the boss (laughs) yes but um it really comes from lack of experience and lack of knowledge like Naturally, I just didn't know what raising capital was like because I never thought of opening a business. Um, So I just steered away from it because I just was afraid. And so, yeah, that is what has gotten me into the bootstrap game. And I've done I've made it this far bootstrapping. And I feel like definitely now that I've been in business for three years and I have two brick and mortars, I'm like, all right, we've proven our concept. Like, I clearly know that. We have a market, we have our community, we have our customers, we have our sales. Mm -hmm. Now is when I am playing around with those type of of options in terms of funding my business. But, you know, for the first three years, I've been bootstrapped. So people are like, that's amazing. Like, obviously, if you're bootstrapped, it's so difficult, but it's so rewarding. Like, it's, it's the most difficult thing I've ever done. And when I talk to other entrepreneurs who are not bootstrapped, Mm -hmm. they just don't understand at all what we're going through because the difference between me and them is that, you know, if you want a new table for your store or you want new windows or you want anything new, 
instead of just swiping that card because you can, mm -hmm. you can't. You have to make the sales. You have to do a sale. You have to do. You have to get a viral video. You have to get the money some way or somehow, or else you're not buying that table. Yeah. You're not buying that cash out, that cash register. You're just you can't. And it's obviously very uncomfortable because it means that business moves a lot slower than we would like to. Mm -hmm. But it's also a proof of concept that if I do this, we will get this amount of sales and then, okay, I can um, give you a raise or I can remodel this store in this room or something like that. And like, it's a very slow mm -hmm. draining process, but it just shows that the business is healthy, the business is moving and there's a proof of concept and I've put in the work to get to where we are basically. Yeah. I, I think there's a reason, a pretty good reason why bootstrap businesses are honestly just so like honored because, you know, if you have a bunch of money being constantly siphoned into your business, it's a lot easier to make it seem like there's more going on than there really yeah. is. Yeah. But when every dollar is based mm -hmm. on a sale and everything has to have a positive ROI or else, mm -hmm your business fails, yeah. then it, um, it just adds a lot more pressure, but it also means that your business is a lot more meaningful yeah. and value create creating. Yeah. So um, yeah, kudos I, to you. <laughs> and I, I don't want to say this in the way that it's like, oh, it's not good to raise capital. Like I literally am saying it. I yeah. just didn't know and I didn't have the experience. And so that is why I personally steered mm -hmm. away from it. But now obviously I know more about it. I have friends that have venture capitalists and yeah. have angel investors and all that good stuff. So now it's <laughs> all that good money. Yeah. <laughs> all that fun stuff. <laughs> and so like, yeah, no, it's not like one way or the other way is right or wrong. Like everyone has their own decisions and their own business. And yeah. this is my story and this is my journey. And now three years later is when I'm going to be for the first time looking for outside capital. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Would you change any of that going back? I mean, it's hard to say that I would change it, but I just feel like I would have done it sooner. Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't know why I just randomly had like a click in my mind that I'm like, OK, why are you struggling so much? Like, yeah. why are you making why are things so difficult? Like mm -hmm. things are good. Things are positive. We're getting a lot of press. We're getting the sales, but yeah. it's still so much work for me. And it's just like other people don't have to deal with that, you know, and, and I see it and. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like I'm sacrificing a lot. Yeah. I'm young, but I'm sacrificing like my summers and not going out because I'm working and building and grinding. So now it's like, okay, I wouldn't go back and change it, but I will absolutely, I would have probably started this sooner. Um, and it's not a bad thing, thankfully, to not mm -hmm. have done it sooner. So I'm just really excited to see where we go from here. Nice. Well, I'm excited. Um, my Literally my last question is, I'm just kind of curious how you run your business in a lean way. Um, what are the things that you've spent resources on in the past that you wish you approached another way? And what are some things that you think you got right? So one thing that I would have changed is I would have hired sooner. I felt like I was just so used to doing everything myself. Mm -hmm. But then once I hired my first worker, I, I saw a huge difference in our sales, in my mental health, yeah. in my overall life and work-life balance. And I was like, wow, so like, this is what, this is what it's like. This mm -hmm. is what it's like to have a team member. This is what it's like to offboard some of the weight to someone else. And yeah. I know it sounds like so ridiculous because some people just start with a team or interns and they, they don't even 
have to start alone. Yeah. But I did start alone and I covered the store seven days a week for a full year straight. And so it was very difficult. Seven days a week was not healthy and was not recommended by anyone. But yeah. I didn't listen. And <laughs> I was just like, I got to pay all these bills. Like, I don't care. I'm going to be here mm-hmm. seven days a week. Um, but I then imagine it, the pressure was on. Yeah, the pressure was on. And mm-hmm. again, it was only on me. So no one else could understand why I was just working so much. And there was consequences. Like I would burn out every two months. I would just have a week where my body would just be paralyzed because of all the stress and the bills and the pressure yeah so but no one else was carrying it but me so then when i you know i i knew that i could hire but i didn't know how to do it and again i I didn't know so i steered away from it Mm -hmm. until i was like i have to hire i'm so exhausted i can't be doing this no more so then i hired my first worker and I, I was like, wow, this is like a whole new world. Like, is this <laughs> what other people have been doing the whole time? So, yeah, yeah my, my journey obviously has been different. Everyone's journey is different. But once I hired my first team member, then I got really excited and I hired another one. And from there, things have just became have become so much better. Yeah. And that's the only reason why I've been able to scale to now my second brick and mortar, obviously, because mm-hmm. I can't be in two stores at once. And now I don't <laughs> have to. I have team members that I depend on. But it's not always butterflies and rainbows. I've had a lot of bad hires. Mm-hmm. I've had people that have stolen from the store. And, yeah. like, that's the reality behind it. Like, there's mm-hmm. good and bad in everything. And I've had I've had to learn how to hire, how to interview, how to onboard, how to delegate, yeah. and how to even explain everything that I've been doing in a way that someone else will understand to do it and how to do it better over time. So... Definitely a game changer. I wish I've done it. I would have done it sooner, um, but it's my journey, and you know I'm honoring it. But now I'm super excited that I have a lot of team members, and things are getting better, yeah. and my life and work life balance <laughs> has just completely changed. Um, but you know, it took me a couple of years to get mm-hmm. here. Well, congratulations, and thank you for coming on the show again. Would you mind just telling people where they can find you, how they can reach out to you, any yeah. contact information? Yeah, so our website is UV the Shop. Our Instagram is at UV the Shop, and you can find us both in the North End and Brookline. We're open um, every day, Tuesday to Sunday, and we are closed on Mondays. And yeah. Great. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is Hey Founded, and you can also find us on Instagram. Thank you.